Good morning. It's nice to see you. My name is Clive. I'm one of the elders of the church, along with Ed and Ant. I'm the older elder. Ed is the younger elder, and Ant is just right in the middle, so we've got a spread. Um, I want to speak to you this morning about living life well, about knowledge and wisdom, and I've subtitled it, Whose Fool Are You? or What Kind of a Fool Are You? So that's something to look forward to. And I wanted to talk about how we can develop our lives and live our lives and achieve our purpose in life. Our lives are deeply affected by things that are beyond our control. If you were born into a slum in Mumbai, the route that you will take to success will be different to somebody born in Golders Green in London or in St. Albans here. The physical circumstances, the economic circumstances, your family, their expectations, what is considered to be valuable and not valuable, those pressures will be on you in a different way in those different places. And you will have to make your way to success in different ways, and you'll have to deal with different kinds of circumstances. And there are things that we can do about that. There are things that we can do to overcome our circumstances or to utilize our circumstances or to change the situations that we're in. We develop ourselves as we grow, and some of the things that we use are the concepts of knowledge and of wisdom. We want to acquire knowledge and we want to acquire wisdom to lead us to achieving our purpose and our goal. Now, knowledge is the stuff that we learn. It's the facts and the, and the skills and the abilities that we pick up as we go through life, either through active studying of those things or through what I call incidental learning. We acquire knowledge by listening to people teach us. We'll sit in lessons in school and we'll be taught certain things and we'll acquire knowledge, some of which we'll use and some of which we won't. I know that the square of the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the square of the other two sides and I can say with honesty I've never used that in my life. I know that a warrior from the, the Russian plains in the times of, of people like Genghis Khan who was in a, on a heavily armed horse is called a cataphract. I have no idea what I'm going to use that piece of information for, but I've acquired it. And maybe like now I can just drop it into the conversation. You can say what a well-read man he is. But some of the knowledge that we acquire, we need to begin to apply in life, and we acquire it in different ways. As I say, we'll sit in class and we will be taught. Some of it will be incidental. We'll, we'll hear somebody in a conversation at a cocktail party and they'll say something and we'll go, I must remember that, that's interesting. Sometimes it'll be amusing and we can chuck it into another conversation and once again get people to think that we know something. Some of it will acquire by research. We'll go looking for information for a specific purpose. And I just want to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to take my preaching hat off for a moment and talk to you as an educator because I can't help myself. I've been an educator for 40 years. Protect your families and help yourself by the way that you acquire knowledge nowadays. Research has changed or the concept of research has changed. Back in the days when dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was at high school or primary school, if a teacher told us to go and find out a piece of information, for example, what is the weight, I don't know why we need to know this, but what is the weight of the liver of a blue whale? How on earth would you find that piece of information about what is the weight of the liver of a blue whale? You would go searching through books. These are collections of papers um, <laughs> where people have written things and they've been printed and they used to be kept in places called libraries. And some of them were quite famous and reliable books like the Encyclopedia Britannica. And you would go and look for this piece of information that you needed. You would try several of these things called books to find that. And in going through them, you would find out lots of other things except 
the weight of the liver of a blue whale because you'd, you'd find out some things about sperm whales and about humpback whales incidentally and they would add to your general knowledge. And eventually you would arrive at the information that you were seeking and you could use that and you were encouraged in those days to find at least three cross-references to make sure that your information was correct. So you would do your best to ascertain the validity of what you had there and then you would hold this piece of information but along the way you had learned a lot of things. And that made you a more interesting person to be in conversation with. It broadened your knowledge, and sometimes it would come into very practical use. I have a concern nowadays, and I don't want to sound like a, a Luddite or, or a, a technophobe, but our children learn in a very linear way in their research nowadays. If you are asked, come on guys here, if you were asked to find out what's the weight of a blue whale's liver, what would you do? G-O-O-G-L-E. And these wonderful machines would take the information they've been programmed with and would very, very quickly zero in on the weight of a blue whale's liver, extract that immaculate fact out there and bring it back to you and drop it into your box. And you would know how much a blue whale's liver weighed and you'd know nothing else about whales. We need to read. We need to read around things. We need to read context. We need to put things into a broader base. And my concern is that our young people are being brought up in a community where they believe anything that they extract in that immaculate way because they're not looking at it in its context. There's a wonderful post that stuck up at my school recently. It said, just because something is on the internet and there's a person's name in a photograph doesn't mean it's true. And it was attributed to Abram Lincoln. <laughs> and a bunch of people probably just accepted it at that. We just take the facts because it's on the internet. And so we are growing up with a bunch of young people who know more and more about less and less. They know a great deal about very little, and they know very little about a great deal. And it will weaken their enjoyment of life and the depth and quality of people that they are if we allow them to continue in that way. I want to say to you, please, I'm now speaking as an educator, as a preacher, get your children to read. And you read. Our acquisition of knowledge needs to be something that is incidental, it's by teaching, it's by learning, but it's also by methodical research. We need to find things out. We need to know, be careful about the, you know, when we read the Bible, we apply the same sort of rules. The Bible is also available in book form. Mine's not. <laughs> I have several times in book form. But back in the day, you used to read through the Bible, seeing what the Bible had to say. Now we have all sorts of guides, and they're not bad things, but if we rely only on them, and they say, if you want to find that about joy, look at these scriptures. If you want to find that about love, look at these scriptures. If you want to find that about this, very, very useful. But they run the danger of us studying the Bible in a way that says, I will go and look for the parts that I like. It extends into the way that we learn the Bible from preaching and teaching. I know some people who get all their teaching from watching people preach online. And here's the danger. They find a preacher that they enjoy and they just watch that preacher. And they find a topic that they like and a preacher who specializes and they just watch that and they get to know an awful lot about very little according to the opinion of one person. I greatly appreciate the way that Ant has structured our teaching and Helen has structured our teaching program at the church that we work through books of the Bible. Because you get to read the parts that you don't want to read. You get, I mean, I had to preach a while ago on being, having your flesh handed over to the devil so that your soul could be saved. It's not the kind of topic I would choose to preach on when I have an opportunity like now. But we need to hear these things. We need to read those parts of the Bible that we don't feel like reading on a particular day. 
So I want to encourage you in your acquisition of knowledge, both in terms of a secular knowledge and in terms of a biblical knowledge, be broad and be wide and ascertain the value and the context and the truth of what you are learning. Because it's that knowledge that we have that enables us to begin to function from a basis of acquired knowledge. We can make decisions that are wise. And we'll talk about wisdom in just a moment. Bible tells us we should study. In... Uh, let me find it, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15, famous scripture, and I like the translation in the, in the authorized version. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Get to know your Bible. Study your Bible. Do it in a methodical way. Do it in a regular way. Do it because it's valuable. Don't do it because you feel guilty that God's going to get you if you don't. He's not going to love you anymore if you read your Bible. He can't love you any more than he already does. He gave Jesus for you. But for you to be effective in what you're doing and to live a life that is good and fulfilled in God's plans for you, you need to have the knowledge to do the things that he calls you to do and to deal with the challenges that come your way. So don't treat the Bible as something in which you dip into every now and then to find something to support an opinion that you've already made. You know, it's very easy to do that. I feel this particular way, so I go and find a scripture completely out of context that backs that up and, and I turn that into my teaching. If we're reading the Bible in a methodical and, and, and organized way, sooner or later we're going to come across another scripture that puts that in context and we're going to go, oh, have you ever changed your mind about something that you believe in the Bible? If you haven't, you've probably not been reading it. Because you'll find something and say, oh, that means that, and then you find the context of it and you go, oh, maybe not. Let's find another place where that's talked about. And all these tools and equipment that we have in terms of searching, I've got a, a Bible program where I can put in a word search and I use it for this uh, sermon this morning. It's very useful, but be careful that we learn in the same way that our children are learning things from Google and from Wikipedia and from things like that. We need to be careful how we acquire knowledge. Be careful who you acquire knowledge from. I talk about this a lot, and I use the same example every time. You're walking down the road, and a fellow comes walking along towards you, and he's looking very much out of shape. He's looking ill. He's stumbling along. He's coughing and hacking. His skin is gray. His hair is greasy. He just looks objectionable, and he comes up to you, and he says, here, I'm a personal trainer. Would you like to follow my training program? You would say no because you are careful about who you give that kind of assistance to or, or that kind of right to speak into your life to. If you want health advice, you go to a doctor that's studied or you go to a gym trainer that is trained, that knows something, and you look for someone who shows evidence of that in their lives. Spiritually, don't just give your ears to any person that comes up with the thought that you think that would be nice. Jesus says we should all wear pink hats. I like that. Which scripture are you using, brother? I'll take that scripture and that'll be my walk. Who are you, by the way? Be careful who you give your ears to. But we need to study. Jesus also says something about studying in the wrong way. He says, he's talking to the, the Pharisees in John chapter 5 and verse 39. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to have life. He says to the Pharisees, you are studying the scriptures in the Old Testament that tell you I'm coming, that tell you who I am, and, what, and it, you are masters in the scriptures, but you don't know me. Our acquisition of knowledge must not be the acquisition of knowledge for the sake of having some facts floating around. I know about cataphracts. You've probably got some biblical facts that you haven't been able to use, but 
We need to look carefully in all of our studies to get to a way that we can acquire knowledge that is useful, dependable, and valuable, and that we can trust ourselves to stand on, because that brings us to wisdom. I heard something the other day, and I got it from somebody else, so I'm not going to claim this, but it really, really fascinated me. The word wisdom is used in the very first time in the Bible when Eve looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when she's been uh, tempted to take of the fruit and she says she saw the tree and that the fruit looked good to eat and was valuable for gaining wisdom. It's next used in the book of Exodus. And it's used when it's describing the people who will work on the garments of the priests and the tabernacle. And it's talking about skilled workmen. It's talking about people who know how to do things with what they've got and achieve something in the end, to produce a piece of woodwork or a piece of embroidery or a piece of something that they were going to use in the tabernacle and to use their knowledge to skillfully achieve the goal that they have set for themselves. That's what wisdom is. We mystify it. The wise man sits on the top of the mountain and people come up and say to him, speak, O wise one, and he says, the ducks fly east sometimes. And you go away and you think about that. That's the, what the comic books have a wise person doing. Some kind of a, a guru or, or someone who speaks. The word wisdom used in the Bible at the, for the first time, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the, it's the word chakam pronounced kwakwam. I won't try that again. It means to be wise, which is good. That's what we're looking for. Skillful in technical work, wise in administration, shrewd, crafty, cunning, wily, subtle, learned, prudent, wise. It's all about what you do. What do you do with the knowledge that you have? How do you convert that knowledge into achieving the final goal? And it was used in terms of people who were going to build something that God wanted and achieve the purpose that God wanted, that they would achieve what they'd been commissioned to do and required to do in a skillful and beautiful way so it could be used. That's the first time after Genesis that the word wisdom is used. I'm jumping around in my notes, so I'll come back to something in a moment that I was going to do, but I'm going to go somewhere else first. I just want to say to you that in definition, if we use our wisdom with our knowledge and we put the two together, we can use the parts of what we have, whether it's a basic skill that we have or a taught skill that we have or incidental learning that we have, and put it together, and we can begin to change our circumstances in our lives to achieve a purpose. That's what wisdom is all about. It's about achieving a purpose. Wisdom with no purpose is university challenge. It's just people saying things for the sake of knowing them. And I, Bill Bryson once said he saw a, a university challenge competition between the top universities in the UK, Oxford and Cambridge and Durham and these guys, and a bunch of American universities in the, American, in the general university challenge format. And he said the English universities were thrashing American universities, it was embarrassing. But he said, I guarantee you in 10 years' time, each of those American teams will be pulling down half a million pounds a year in some company, and probably the Oxford guys will be in threadbare clothes examining the Peruvian nose flute from a 1,000 years ago because there is a difference in the attitude of how you use information. Wisdom is taking that information to achieve that purpose and that goal and using it to utilize your knowledge and the circumstances around you and to change them and to produce a good life, to produce the things that you want in life. Now, I'm going to use an example which you might find shocking because there is an earthly form of wisdom which I was quite disparaging about and I've had to think to myself, hang on a moment, there's something to learn here. 
One of the most famous people groups in the world is a family tribe of influencers. Just to avoid being sued online, I won't use their names, but it rhymes with car crash, Ian. They're a very wealthy group of people who have followed a very interesting route to their great wealth. One of the group, the one daughter, in 2007, had to deal with the fact that somebody released an erotic tape about her that she and her partner at the time, she was a, a, a I had to look this up because I, I'm not that skillful in, but she was a, what do they call them, stylist for a famous R&B singer, and they were together as a couple, and a sex tape was released about them. And she fought that in public, and there was a big public fight, and in the end, she sold the rights to it for $5 million. And out of that came a fly-on-the-wall reality show about the family, keeping up with the, <laughs> the cars. It was a racing program. <laughs> and from that... The various members of the family were released into different ways of making money through endorsing products, through designing products, through making appearances, through having vlogs and so forth. And they are millionaires. One claims to be a billionaire. Now, listen to me carefully. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. I didn't used to see it that way, but that's wisdom. These people have taken what they've got, the knowledge that they have, as weird as that might seem to you and me, the relevance of it, and they have used it skillfully and, and carefully to produce the end goal of what they want to have, which is wealth and fame. That's wisdom. It's earthly wisdom. I'm shocked and appalled by what people value in what they've done, but they've done what they wanted to do. They have used the information they have, the skills they've got, and the circumstances they've got to produce what they want, which is money and fame. Now, for me, that's not what I want in life. But not everybody agrees with me. I went and looked at some quotes about people saying money can't buy you happiness. And Bo Derek said, money can't, if you say money can't buy you happiness, you're shopping in the wrong place. <laughs> Spike Milligan said, money can't buy you happiness, but it does bring you a more pleasant form of misery. If that is your goal in life, if you want to be rich and famous and that's all you want, you don't mind having broken marriages and your private life splashed all over the screens and, and all kinds of infighting and, 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 and people laughing at your airbrushing techniques and things like that. If you don't mind that, if all you want is money and fame, they have succeeded tremendously. They've shown incredible earthly wisdom. They've taken their knowledge, they've taken their abilities, they've taken what they've got and they've applied them and they've achieved the purpose that they're looking for. But we look for a different kind of wisdom. Our kind of wisdom that we look for, we read about. Because I've left my notes behind, I need to go back and find my, my scripture that I was going to be going to. Oh, do help me. Proverbs 9 verse 10. Proverbs is full of quotes about, about wisdom. It says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to encourage you towards the wisdom this morning that comes from God, and it comes, it starts with the fear of the Lord. Now, if we think of godly wisdom as having the same purpose, 
that we take what we have and what we know and what we understand and we use that skillfully and carefully to achieve the purpose that God wants for our lives, then where do we get that wisdom? Because the world's wisdom is thrown at us in very many different ways. It's taught to us. It's, it's given to us on television, on social media. The world throws its form of wisdom at us constantly. Where do we find godly wisdom? And it says we find it in the fear of the Lord. Now, the word that's used there is the word yira in the Greek. It means fear, terror, awesome, terrifying thing, fear of God, respect, reverence, piety. It talks about respecting and honoring somebody to the point that you will listen to them. And I look at things in a, from a personal context in a very simple way. In the course of my life and my career and what I've done in ministry, I've been placed on a number of occasions before decisions that I needed to make. And in the end, on a number of occasions, I've made decisions that I didn't want for myself. They weren't what I would have preferred. I started my teaching career in a town called Hermanus in South Africa. Anybody know Hermanus? It's a wonderful seaside resort where people come from all over the world to watch whales. I used to teach in the morning and the afternoon. I'd start looking out across the golf course from my classroom and see what the break was like in the, in, in the bay called Kamabai. And when the bell went, I raced my pupils to get down there and surf. At five o'clock, we'd come back and have sports practice, and then I'd go home and We'd have the summer holidays. People would pay thousands of pounds to come and live the holiday where I lived. I would never have left there if God hadn't messed around in my life. I was living in paradise for a teacher. I would have been Mr. Chips in that school. You've had to blow me out of that place. But I followed God's calling, and I'll tell you why. Not because I was brave, not because I was clever, but because I had an understanding of God that was this. He knows everything. He can do everything he loves me tremendously. If I don't do what he wants, I'm missing out. I'm afraid of missing out on God's plan for me. That's the fear of the Lord. I'm afraid of losing what God has planned for me. I'm afraid of losing what God brings into my life. So I make decisions for him because that's the best place to be. My earthly wisdom is saying, stay here and surf, bro. I'd have been the oldest surf. I was a sit-down surfer, by the way. I surfed wave skis. If some of you are here very skillful stand-up surfers. I surfed those wave skis. We were the verge of the people who stood up. They didn't like us because we could get into the waves before them. And I wasn't an expert, but I really enjoyed it. And I'd still be doing that. But God said, I need you to do something different. And I didn't go, yay, God has called me. I said to him, I'm not Reinhard Bonker. I'm not Ray McCauley. And he said, no, you're not. You didn't listen. They said, yes. And eventually I gave up my argument and did what he wanted. Because I have a fear of the Lord, and I retain that fear of the Lord. The safest place in the world to be is where God wants you to be. The safest thing to do in the world is what God has called you to do. The most productive and valuable thing to do in the world is what God has called you to do. And that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it says, I want to do these things skillfully in the way that God wants me to do that. When God gets that attitude in my heart, he supplies the wisdom. That's wisdom that comes from above. But it takes an attitude in your heart of saying, I want this more than I want that. The Apostle Paul was an educated, up-and-coming Pharisee, the ruling class in the country. They were almost all wealthy people. They were highly respected. They were famous. They were safe. They ruled people. And he had everything going for him to do that. He had loads and loads and loads of knowledge. Loads of knowledge. 
and he was using it very skillfully to persecute the church. He was like the best persecutor you could be. He was dragging people out of their homes into prison. He was traveling around. He took his persecution on the road. And then on the road to Damascus, he dramatically meets God, and God takes that knowledge, and he adds his wisdom to it, and Paul's whole life turns around. The end of his life, he says, I have run the race. I have finished the race. I've achieved the goal. That's what he was looking for. That was the goal that he was using his knowledge and his wisdom to achieve, not fame and fortune, which he could have had. Instead, he had shipwrecks and beatings and, 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 and people talking about him and people betraying him. That's what he got. But he was using the knowledge that he had acquired in the way that God told him to use it to achieve the purpose that God wanted him to achieve. How are you living your life at the moment? How are you doing? Good life? Measured by what standard? That's what I'm challenging myself about. Am I achieving what God wants me to achieve in my life right now? Am I doing the things that he wants me to do right now? Am I sitting on my laurels the things that I've done before? Am I waiting for things that are coming in the future? Or right now am I saying, this is what I've got. This is the knowledge and skill and experience and stuff that I've got. Do I wake up in the morning and say, God, here's what I've got. Where's your wisdom how to use it today? That's living your life well. That's where we should be aimed. If you are going by God's wisdom, but here's the thing. God's wisdom is foolish to man. One Corinthians one verses eighteen to twenty one say this: For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. God needed something to happen to change the, the narrative in the world. The narrative before Jesus came was... Do what brings success because that shows the blessing of God. The Pharisees lived by their rules and their rules. They oppressed people, but they were wealthy. And the Jews genuinely believed at that stage that wealth indicated the blessing of God. Poverty, the opposite. So if you were poor, you were a sinner. If you were wealthy, you were a good man. And God confuses and confounds that wisdom because he sends a fool. Back in the early 80s, I went through a period of time, and it's a long story, and I won't bore you with it, but I gave up buying and listening to, actively listening to secular music for 10 years. For 10 years, I listened to Christian music. I didn't turn the radio off if something was on, but I bought and listened to Christian music. And this was about 1982 when it started. I was challenged by what I was listening to. My pastor came and said to me, sit with your collection of records, which if you don't know, these were big vinyl discs um, that you put on machines, and with a needle that went into them, and it worked on vibrations. And they were kind of like CDs of the, of the previous, of, of the Jurassic Age. But he said to me, here's the challenge. Sit down with your music and, and have a look at what the lyrics say. Because you used to get these records, albums, and covers that were decorated and the lyrics are there. And I was shocked to find what I was listening to as a, as a, a Christian aspiring to become a worship leader and become a preacher. And so I got rid of that and I listened to Christian music actively for 10 years. And it was jolly hard. 
because the stuff available was not very good musically. There were bands that you would record without tuning the guitars properly because it's okay because we're serving Jesus. He's laughing because he knows who they were. <laughs> but in the middle of this, I discovered a guy called Michael Card. Any of you know Michael Card's music? Have a look for his music. A wonderful guy that writes beautiful lyrics. And he wrote a song called God's Own Fool. And this is how the opening lyrics go. It seems I've imagined him all of my life as the wisest of all of mankind. But if God's holy wisdom is foolish to man, he must have seemed out of his mind. For even his family thought he was mad, and the priest said a demon's to blame. For God in the form of this angry young man could not have seemed perfectly sane. And so we follow God's own fool as only the foolish can tell. Believe the unbelievable, come be a fool as well. Don't you love that? What kind of a fool are you? Whose fool are you? I want to challenge you. The basic idea as I understand it is this. We fear the Lord. How? Not by shaking in our bones, but by saying, Lord, I honor and trust and believe you to the extent that being out of your presence and being out of your plan and being out of your purpose is a dangerous place to be. And so in the fear of that, I cling to you because I know that you're wonderful and you're great. And because of that, I want to achieve your plan and your purpose. And to achieve your plan and purpose, I ask you for your wisdom. And I will give that wisdom something to work with by studying your word and by acquiring knowledge of your word and of the world that we live in. Now, guys, be careful. Sometimes we say there's earthly wisdom and there's godly wisdom, and we only need one. So I need to know nothing about how to live my life, how to run my finances, how to drive my car. I just need the wisdom of God. I'll just get in my car and I'll pray and I'll know how to drive it. It doesn't work that way. When South Africa went through a change in 1994 and the new governments came in and, and, and freedom of, of voting was brought in, a lot of new parties started. And one of them was a Christian party. And everybody said, yay, we've got a Christian party. But it didn't really succeed because they'd go into parliament and stand up in parliament and they would make their arguments based on scripture. Now that sounds great. But if you're trying to argue that point in Parliament with a bunch of people who don't believe the Scripture, you have no bargaining point. If you want to be a successful politician for Jesus, you've got to understand politics as well. If you want to be a great mechanic for Jesus, you've got to know how to fix cars. If you want to be a good teacher for Jesus in a school, you've got to get the teaching qualifications and use them and be the best. We need our earthly wisdom, but the difference is what is the goal that we are applying? Because if we are applying the goal of achieving God's purpose in our life, then our godly wisdom will be the prime thing that we go by. And sometimes it'll make us do foolish things. I'm not surfing anymore. By the world standard, I gave up. When I left that position of teaching in my job in Hermanus, the guy that took it over said to me, what on earth are you doing? He said, People are lining up to have this position. It was a foolish thing to do by the world's standards, by what I enjoyed. But it was what God wanted, and my life has changed ever since because of that. We need our earthly wisdom. We need to use it, but we need it to be overridden by the wisdom of God, for God's wisdom to be what ascertains what is my goal and my purpose. And I want to challenge you. This is the goal and purpose that you and I should have, to achieve what God has set out for us to do in our lives, whatever that might be. However change that might cause in your life or however little change that might cause in your life, our goal should be to achieve the fullness of what God has planned for us in our lives. And our heart's cry should be, God, 
I'm going to find out as much as I can about your word and about your, your teaching to come, equip me for this, but at the same time, I'm going to rely on your wisdom to lead me. You know, I heard years ago, I was at a, at a conference, and they were talking about a missionary that was working at that stage up in the Himalayas, and he went into a group of people that had been doing mission work from previous missionaries that had come through, and he met a bunch of people living up in the foothills of the Himalayas who were totally uneducated. To the extent that they brought them down from the foothills, this is a long time ago, into a place that had electricity. And they wanted to turn the lights out, and one of them stood up and tried to blow out the light bulb. That was how technically behind they were. And he started saying to the people that he was with, as I think he was from America, he was saying, who are these people and what do they do? No, they're evangelists. Many of them could not write. Many of them could not read. One lady used to memorize scriptures and go and stand in a village and sing and then share her testimony. Other people would memorize as many scriptures as they could and go, but they were hopelessly ill-equipped in terms of what we would see as being useful today. And he said, so they have any success. So the person said, well, that lady that does the singing, she's, she's converted three, and he's converted two. He said, three people, two, no, no, three villages. Two villages. They were using what they had with the wisdom of God, and they were achieving the purpose of what God had set for them to do in their place at their time. Now, does that mean everyone who's got to go as a missionary? No, no. Become a preacher? No. If you call to be the best doctor that God wants you to be, then do that. Bank manager, truck driver, you name it. Can't be a bank robber for God, I'm sorry. What God is calling you to do, watch the subtle change that needs to take place. Not so subtle, the radical change that needs to take place. What is your end goal? What is your purpose? What do you want you to achieve? Seek the face of God. Ask him what he wants in your life and do that. That's wisdom. Acquire the knowledge, acquire the wisdom, hand it over to God and let him do things in your life. You know, there are a lot of people that are moving in very, very profound ministries who are very surprised by the fact that they're there. Talk to a lot of guys that have got a high profile, and they'll tell you they're surprised to be there. And where did it start? At some stage in their life, they said, God, I want what you want. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. At some point in their lives, they said, what you want is more important than anything else. What you want is where I'm safe. A fear of missing out on that I want you, I want what you've got. And at some point they gave their lives and said, whatever you want. And God said, let me see what I can do. I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Who's fool are you? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us as we ask you. Say, if any of us lacks wisdom, when you ask and you will give it. Father, I ask you that you change our priorities, that you change our goals, that you change our plans, our purposes, our dreams to be those that you want us to have. I pray that you help us to equip ourselves as best we can do, but then to hand that over to you for your wisdom to flood our lives and to make us able to do what it is that you've called us to do. I pray your blessing on each one who's challenged this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.